Welcome to This Just In, the show bringing you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and public policy. And now, for the fastest voice in healthcare, here's your host, Justin Barnes. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to This Just In. I'm your host, Justin Barnes. In these segments, I'll bring you the latest advancements in healthcare, strategy, innovation, and leadership. As always, we're broadcasting from the This Just In studios on the Business Radio X network, as well as the Healthcare Now radio network. For this episode, my 270th episode, with a very special returning guest, Dr. Don Rucker. Uh, most of my noted audience knows Dr. Rucker as he's an industry veteran and also former national coordinator for Health IT. Um, so again, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you? Uh, thanks, Justin. I'm, I'm great. Great to have you here again. Uh, and um, yeah, before we dive into on the two seventy, <laughs> exactly, uh, that's very impressive. You got it. Um, and before we dive into uh, to all the good stuff that we'll talk around on interoperability in the industry and Tefka and, and all that good stuff, where are you calling in from? Um, I'm uh, calling in from Crystal City, Virginia, which is right outside of DC. Um, it's sort of a strip of uh, office buildings and. Uh, you know, some residential um, have a view of, uh, you know, Capitol Hill and uh, Washington Monument. So pretty close to D.C. Beautiful. How long have you been in that area? Uh, since I joined ONC. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. And where'd you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey, though, ironically enough, for the Crystal City. Uh, first job out of college was an internship, summer internship at the EPA in Crystal City, about four blocks from when I live now. So in some b- bizarre way, it seems like my career has only moved four blocks. <laughs> I love it. I actually uh, grew up the Ma- in Massachusetts, but we had a place down in Cape May, New Jersey. So I spent a lot of time, a lot oh, of summers yeah. down in Jersey. Sure. So um, I guess uh, since you've been the national coordinator, you know, what have you been up to? What are some of your passions over the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, I think as folks may know from that time, my entire career has really been about how do we get data and use data to be better in healthcare. I mean, that is literally the one thing, along with enough clinical practice to, um, you know, really inform all of that in a in a thorough, thorough way um, has been what, you know, has floated my boat. So no surprise, mm-hmm. as always, I'm doing more of the same. And um, I'm very excited to join a company called One Up Health that's doing uh, fire in the cloud and really looking at interoperability, not just as the classic, you know, move data from point A to point B, but how do we use data in the modern, you know, sort of cloud you know, paradigm, that's a stupid word, but, you know, in the way enabled by the cloud to really rethink healthcare, you know, and that includes things like prevention, which we have, you know, very little of right. um, in American healthcare. Um, so I'm the chief strategy officer there. And, um, you know, we're deep in the world of, um, you know, getting data, thinking about data, um, cleaning up data and uh, leveraging the power of fire, which ultimately I think will be seen as the combo of the first time you can ever truly compute on the clinical part of care, 
right? As opposed to the surround, like the HL7V2 labs or DICOM, as well as the financial part of healthcare, which, you know, historically has been X12. So mm-hmm. FIRE is a way to really link those things. And uh, as I think we'll talk about, that's increasingly huge in the policy space. Sure. And obviously that leads me perfectly into uh, my next question and, you know, how we got connected here um, again after a couple of years, you know, what I would love to know your latest thoughts on TEFCA and, and some of the frameworks and, and where it's going. Yeah. You know, I think um, obviously TEFCA is um, something that was put into the Cures Act, um, but without a definition, uh, really. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, the, then the sort of the question is, um, what is the definition? Now, I think the the real the real answer here is obviously what does a modern internet do, right? I mean, we have an extraordinary networking infrastructure in America, right? This entire podcast coming and going, every aspect of it is made available by the modern internet. So field level data to manage all of these conversations, you know, simple APIs, rich applications, right? So how do we get that into healthcare? The Cures Act, uh, as folks may remember, had two core provisions. One is APIs without special effort, so not encumbered by having to, you know, pay money to a vendor. Um, you know, the patient had computable access to their data, not through a portal. And then the other one was the right of the patient's to get their data. So that's information blocking. So before arguably, um, whether providers shared data with patients was somewhat optional, um, depending on how you look at it. But with the Cures Act, it became required, right? And in a modern way. Um, So that's really, I think, still going to be the center point of the American healthcare system. Um, I think we've frankly taken a side, um, you know, TEFCA is sort of a sidebar to that and um, has, you know, I think a number of features that are uh, quite problematic from a um, informatics, from a computing point of view, from an economic policy competition, consumer consumer choice point of view. Um, I mean, we can get into the details there, but uh, um, I, I see the main thread being the RESTful APIs and fire data structures. That's the healthcare version of all the RESTful JSON stuff mm-hmm. that you have on your smartphone that powers, you know, a billion conversations a second, probably in the United States. Yeah. And I think, and in, in for my audience, I mean, most of us know what TEFCA is, but it's the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. We refer to it as the acronym. Tefka, and it's yeah. obviously alphabet soup in the industry. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I guess it's so going down this path. You know, what do you see? So a couple of different levels. Is first of all the real timeline now that there are the QHIN applications in process. So what do you see there as some of the timelines, and we can kind of go into some of the other components, the stumbling blocks, and fire, and all that good stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe just um, to step back. You know, what what does modern computing look like elsewhere? Right, it's these RESTful APIs. Those are the gets and puts you see on your browser, mm-hmm. right? So the whole point of that advance is if you have an IP address, right, something, something.com, you can then with OAuth2, if the patient's authorized it, 
they can then get the data using the security that has been provided by the provider in you know, logging on to the provider systems. Um, that's a really clean, elegant interface. Um, there's no issue really with getting IP addresses. You type it, you know, into your browser or the app just um, gets it. What Tafka has come up with is this network of brokers who talk to each other, um, who obviously have to charge potentially very large fees. Um, so it's this brokered network, which in and of itself is frankly problematic. Um, the second thing is they're going back to a 1990s protocol called IHE. So mm -hmm. for the uh, older folks on the uh, listening in, in the 1990s, the internet was what were called page views. So documents, you typed in a, you know, a URL and you would get a page, you know, it didn't really refresh. Um, you know, maybe there was a query, but it really didn't do anything, right? That started changing with, um, you know, companies like Amazon that, you know, allowed you to use a credit card. Um, and then all of the programming paradigms, um, that layered onto JavaScript, you know, folks may know things like React and Angular, um, but, you know, there, there's lots of them. So now everything is individual field data. So all of the things we do, change your bank account, you know, log on to an airline, uh, change your C, all of that stuff requires field level data. IHE is still anchored in this document, right? So just think of it as a digital fact, the digital version of a fax. Um, it's it just, there's very little there unless what you want is a human to read. Now, some people have said, you know, controversially, oh, it's easy to compute on this. Um, but in point of fact, computing on documents is highly problematic. CCDs are quite variable and you have to parse it. So instead of having a simple address and a simple query, you have to write a complex program and run it for every single thing that you hope to parse out and do so at great reliability or low reliability. So it's just, you know, an ancient, expensive approach that's very brittle. And then, you know, things like the almost inevitable issues with privacy and security that follow mm -hmm. from that, um, you know, come into play as well, as well as the anti-competitive things, which uh, unfortunately have been exacerbated by a proposed rule. Uh, my former agents. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I guess, I mean, you those are some, certainly some stumbling blocks. What else do you see as kind of, kind of barriers? And then obviously, where do you see as fire being incorporated here? Yeah. Um, so I think if IHE and TEFCA left to its own devices mm -hmm. um, without a government forcing function, I think it would sort of just sort of die, mm. you know, a eventual gradual death, just like all things that aren't enabled by computing have done in the modern internet. Now, you know, healthcare is always a laggard, right? I mean, we still have digital faxes, um, but, you know, the, the operational reality is what programmer is going to want to learn IHE protocols and negotiating with QHINs. It, it's just so much more commotion and work for such a hugely less useful result, it will die its own death. Um, the concern 
And then now I, I would say since folks like maybe including me have made a lot of commotion about the fact that why are we going back to a 20 year old document protocol or older actually in 2023 um, and giving that government advantage, um, you know, so now Sequoia is saying, well, you know, we're going to eventually convert it to fire. Um, that sort of misses the computational point, you know, at least half of it, because part of what makes modern computing great is that you have elegant APIs, right? You could have the elegance of fire, but if you hide it behind a cumbersome barrier that you can't get to, it doesn't really add value. Um, those are the technical things. And then, you know, we can get into the policy things that are sort of uh, in the soup right as we speak. Sure. Well, I mean, let's let's dive in there. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, from a policy perspective and, and you know, I'm obviously encouraging this. Very excited to have you on air because I still and, and we talked a bit off air. You know, I still see a lot of data blocking and information blocking out yeah. there. And it's, um, you know, there's been so much work over so many, you know, years and years, and you can even say decades now at this point. So, I mean, it's a little frustrating at times. I mean, I guess share your thoughts there and what do you see as maybe some, what do we have to do or, or what, why should I be optimistic about the future here? Yeah, um, you're, you're, you know, Justin, you're spot on, right? I mean, it, you know, why is that? It's not because we can't compute it. We've been able to compute this for decades if you put your mind to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's. We have a payment model where the margin is entirely generated um, when you look nationally by high-priced procedures, yes. right? Surgeries, certain kinds of hospitalizations, you know, cardiac casts, all that type of stuff. And when you look at that world, that's where we have the incentives. That's where CMS and payers are paying. And so people respond to incentives and the incentive has been to merge with every hospital site, build up an oligopoly delivery system that is so large that they become a price setter to payers. That's, that is the business model of American healthcare. And you can see it in pretty much Everywhere. every market. <laughs> you, um, you know, I don't know about Sarasota where you are, but I mean, yeah, it's you know, on its way. You can go, you know, out to Miami and see it and play. You can go up to Orlando and see it and play. Yep. Um, you can go to Atlanta and see it and play. You can go to North Carolina and see it and play. Absolutely. Um, you know, Chicago, California, right? Every one of those markets has these oligopoly delivery systems. And obviously, without mentioning names, they're all yep. serviced by a vendor yep. um, who, again, no fault of the vendor responding to the federal <laughs> payment incentives has built a very inward facing platform where the ultimate economic behavior is to capture referrals within the system. I mean, if you're in these EHRs, um, you essentially can't refer out as a practical matter. Right. And then obviously the economic incentives follow. So in that world, interoperability is just an evil, hmm. right? I mean, they're trying to make themselves not interoperable, right? That's the whole point of the network design. Um, and so surprise, surprise, information blocking 
is part of that. Um, I think what's been really disappointing to me is that ONC is now proposing to let TEFCA participants have carte blanche to information blocks. So what does that mean? It means that if you're an app, you're a provider, you're anybody who has ever used or had to use a QHIN for any reason and pay the tolls, um, the EHR vendors can now require you to get the data in the format that Tefka you know, supports for the data. So you don't get it in a computable fire bundle with a normal API that didn't even require QHINs or toll taking um, that would go straight to the EHR. You're required to go, you know, through this toll taking network and get the data in what is ultimately not a real-time computable way. I mean, that is information blocking. Information blocking is limiting access, exchange, and use. Access through QHINs, exchange through a 1990s protocol, and use by not giving you usable data. That's a problem. That ONC and the proposed rule has that as allowable is, I think, somewhere between stunning and sad. And as I said publicly, will probably really, as is likely intended by some of the people here, shut down, you know, a modern digital economy and keep all business in sort of our current, you know, visit the doctor's office kind of world. So in that direction, I mean, I guess to, what what can we do or what should we do? Should we continue the, our outreach? Is there is an open public comment period right now that we can respond to? Uh, the comment period is closed. I think, you know, we just need to, um, frankly, you know, interact with ONC. Mm -hmm. If you believe in this, you can, you know, talk with your member of Congress, have them write letters. Um, letters to uh, federal agencies from members of Congress have a very interesting visibility. Yes. Um, so if you're close to a member of Congress and you believe in, you know, open APIs and modern computing and no information blocking, um, this, the proposal as currently there, it's not a final rule, it's a proposed rule, um, directly violates the um, core premises of the uh, Title IV of the Cures Act, which is APIs without special effort um, and no information blocking, obviously. Um, and then there's, I think, the question to ask, uh, you know, our colleagues at ONC and our colleagues at the various QHINs, why um, would TEFCA even need to information block? I've seen nobody who can answer why that is. Now, of course, the real reason is because it's anti-competitive. And um, but you know, notionally, like, you know, keeping we're we're here on radio, as it were, but um, how do you keep a straight face when you answer right. that question? <laughs> um, you know. Very good point. No, and I, th I think you bring up a, a, another other great point is just about, you know, getting out there and letting yeah. your voice be heard. It's something you know I've done for now. Yeah. 20 or 30 years uh, on Capitol Hill and working with our members of Congress and our House and Senate yeah. and, um, you know, and passing legislation, getting change. And so we've done a lot of great work throughout the years and the decades. And and I, you know, highly encourage everybody to let their voice be heard. And um, Congress listens, I promise you. So when yeah, you go in I mean, and you speak so to your members, they listen. Your Act was almost unanimous. So it's a little bit stunning right. that an agency 
would effectively work to overturn that. There may also be some interesting legal aspects there on the policy and whether it was clear through the Federal Trade Commission, Department of Justice, there are a bunch of other, mm-hmm. you know, interesting thing questions that uh, are more deeply inside the uh, soup kitchen. Yeah, good point. So looking back at the ONC, you know, in your time there, what were you most proud of accomplishing while you were there? You know, Justin, I felt extraordinarily lucky to be handed sort of the Cures Act rulemaking mm-hmm. as the task. Um, when I got to ONC, I thought the the issue that I had in my mind and talked about with Secretary Price when he selected me mm-hmm. was to, you know, clean up the remnants of meaningful use and make, you know, charts, you know, the, the things that clinicians spend a lot of time, you know, the sort of essentially fake review of systems with 10 organ components you never looked at um, in the eight organ physical exam, right? Just stuff that was billing boilerplate and distracted from actually taking care of the patient um, and getting rid of that. And, uh, you know, between Seema Verma and I, we actually got rid of all of that. We materially changed uh, the nature of all clinical documentation during our term and made it far more real, which of course is critical for things like natural language processing. Um, That's what I thought Mm -hmm. the job would be. And we accomplished that. But obviously I've been involved in computing and healthcare since, well, you know, depending on how you count the very late seventies. And we've never really had the ability to compute on clinical care. You know, we're on a, we've been on a very slow power glide and now finally to have EHRs everywhere, you know, albeit with limitations to have the modern internet. And the last building block was really the fire data standard mm-hmm. so that we had, you know, sort of the same format to compute as opposed to proprietary data fields that, you know, were effectively uncomputable. Uh, so putting in with, you know, great ONC staff, you know, the provisions on APIs without special effort um, and noodling the information blocking to be fair to all, right? So to be fair to the patient who should get their data as part of the payment for healthcare, clearly, Mm -hmm. um, to be fair to EHR vendors who, you know, need to have a return on their investment and to be fair to providers who are basically they can't really switch in EHR. So, you know, the prices that payers can be allowed to charge them have to bear a tight relationship to the actual costs. Um, doing all of that was without a doubt, you know, um, my lifetime accomplishment. I love so it. far, so <laughs> far. <laughs> so far, exactly. Great point. Great caveat. Um, completely agree. And you bring up actually Secretary Price. Ironically, Tom was my state senator and then also my congressman out of Georgia when I lived there. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. So the, the uh, irony, the, world, the world's very small. I, I, yeah. I've actually known Tom since he was in, I actually helped him get into the state Senate back in the early 2000s when I was doing a little bit of political work in Georgia. Oh, wow. Alongside my health AT stuff. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. So <laughs> I indirectly owe the ONC job to you. No, no. What? <laughs> Act well, thank yeah. you, thank you weird, very yeah, much right. yes now i'll send you a card <laughs> thanks todd now i've actually always admired your work you've been a great uh, colleague because you came from siemens actually i don't know if you know this about me but my actually first job was in 1995 with hbo and company which became 
oh, McKesson. Sure. So I, the early yeah. in the mid nineties, I would compete head to head against SMS. Were you there during the SMS days? Um, at the after very two? end, I joined in January of 2000. Um, oh. But yeah, no, I'm familiar with HBOC. I actually did a business school class project on HBOC. Uh-oh, a good one or a bad one? <laughs> oh, I think it was a student homework assignment. Um, okay, good. It's been a good one, maybe a po- to, positive to, one. Yeah, I think expanded to a report. I'm not sure there was um, much information that I understood in that era yeah. or was able to communicate. So, <laughs> Very cool. So um, we got about uh, 30 seconds or so uh, left to this show, but you know, what attracted you to 1UP Health and you know, a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, what's exciting about One Up Health is, you know, historically interoperability, as we talked about at the top of the show, is, you know, moving data from one part to another. But what I've always been interested in since literally med school um, is the thought of computing on data, right? Using data to figure out, for example, what are the best meds you should be on? What's the optimum prevention strategy? I mean, most today, not understood really, most cardiac disease and much cancer is actually way more preventable than people think. So how do we get computing platforms that can ingest all of that data and do it in in an economically rational way? And that's where, you know, the cloud platform comes in. So 1UP has a, uh, I think, pretty unique way of using cloud. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's really computable interoperability. Um, as opposed to interoperability. And that's just stunningly exciting. I love it. Congratulations, my friend. Always great to have you on air. We need to do this probably more often than every four or five years. So um, I'll make that happen. But again, thank you so much. It's great to have you here today, my friend. All right, Justin. Thank you so much. Take care. Got it. Thank you. And truly appreciate everyone taking their uh, time to listen to us and joining us. Uh, As always, you can join us weekdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. Uh, as always, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustinRadio so I can respond to your comments from the show. If you missed any of this episode or want to hear more, all my shows are posted at Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you check out some of the new content we just posted on JustinBarnes.com. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe. 